0: Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. So when I was in high school, I used to work for the city of Toronto as a lifeguard and swim instructor. And in some of the younger classes that I would teach, there was this activity that we would do with the children in order to get them used to deeper water. So we would put life jackets on them, and uh, we would go to the middle of the shallow end, uh, you know, where it's about waist deep on me, but for them, if they jumped in, they'd be over their, in over their heads. But they've got life jackets on, and so you line them up on the edge of the pool, and I'm standing in the water, and... I get them to jump into my arms and I catch them as they, as they hit the water. Now some kids, they're they're just totally confident and they jump right in. They're having a great time. Some kids are just petrified. They will not jump no matter how much you coax them. Doesn't matter that they're wearing a life jacket. Doesn't matter that they've seen me, they've seen their other classmates jumping in. They've seen me catch them. They're just terrified. And, you know, at first I didn't understand why until I realized that it was an issue of faith. Faith in their life jacket and faith in their instructor, because they didn't really know me. You know, I'm not their parent. They didn't know whether or not to trust me. And so in the the passage that Angela just read for us, Jesus' encounter here with the lepers teaches us two important things about faith. First, that it's not the amount of faith that matters, so much as the object of your faith. And second, that faith demands action. So before we continue to unpack this passage, let's just invite the Holy Spirit here with us to be with me as I preach this, preach from the Word, and also to be with you as you hear it and take it in. So Holy Spirit, we thank you that you You are here with us. We ask that you would bless the preaching of your word, and we ask that you would illuminate it to us, make it clear to us, help us to understand it, apply it to our hearts, so that we may be more like Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. So there are a couple pieces of cultural background that you need to know in order to fully understand this encounter. We need to understand about lepers, and we need to understand something about the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. But first about lepers. Jewish law about leprosy goes way back to Old Testament times, in Leviticus 13 and 14. It's a long, de- it's a long detailed chapter, or set of chapters, but I'll summarize it for you. Basically, if you started developing symptoms of leprosy, you had to go show yourself to the priest and the priest would inspect you. And if he confirmed that you were showing signs of leprosy, then he would put you in quarantine for seven days. And at the end of those seven days, he would inspect you again. And if there was no change, he'd put you in quarantine again for another seven days, so for a total of 14 days. If at the end of the 14-day quarantine, the leprosy was starting to grow worse, at that point, the priest would declare you ceremonially unclean on account of a, de, a, a defiling skin disease. R.K. Harrison in his commentary on Leviticus says that this was basically living death for the lepers. Because what happened, what Leviticus 13 prescribes is that anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. And as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. This was living death because they were cut off from their community, possibly for the rest of their lives. Most of all, the leper would be cut off from spiritual fellowship with the covenant people, and in a real sense would be cut off without hope and without God in the world. The Old Testament often, but not always, would associate the appearance of leprosy with God's punishment for sinful behavior. So for example, Moses' sister Miriam when she tried to uh, rebel against his authority, or Elisha's servant Gehazi, um, or King Uzziah. And so as a consequence, lepers were not treated that well by their own people because sometimes their own people would assume that you got leprosy because you had sinned somehow. It was possible to recover from leprosy, and Leviticus 14 would lay out detailed instructions involving going seeing the priest for an inspection and making some sacrifices. Okay, so that's leprosy. So now we need to know about Jews and Samaritans. Now, those of you who have been following Jesus for many years know that Jews and Samaritans did not get along. The origins of the Samaritans are not entirely clear, but the most probable explanation is that they were descended from the remnants of the Israelites who were left over when the Assyrians conquered Israel, sent Israel into exile, and then resettled people from other parts of their empires in the Israelite lands. Those settlers intermarried with the remnant of Israel, uh, they adopted the local faith, and from them came the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans had a bit of a different faith than the Jews. The Samaritans only believed that the first five books of the Bible were divinely inspired. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they believed that the proper place to worship God was on Mount Gerizim and not Jerusalem. So this creates a theological rift between the Jews and the Samaritans. And it grows into open hostility in the first century BC when the Jews actually go and destroy the Samaritan temple on Mount Gerizim. And in turn, a group of Samaritans desecrate the Jerusalem temple by scattering human bones in it on the Passover. So by Jesus' day, you know, there, the animosity between these two groups is such that intermarriage is forbidden, social interaction is you know, greatly restricted, the term Samaritan is a term of contempt among the Jews, and in turn, the Samaritans will refuse to offer hospitality to Jews who are traveling towards Jerusalem. So now we see that in Jewish society, Lepers are outcasts, Samaritans are outcasts, and a Samaritan leper would be doubly outcast. And it's into this situation of suffering that Jesus enters. So the first thing that we can learn from this situation about faith is that it's not the amount of faith that you have, but the object of your faith. Last Sunday, when Pastor Tim was preaching for us from Luke uh, 17, verses one to 10, You know, in Luke 5, or sorry, in verse 5, the apostles asked Jesus, increase our faith, uh, because they, they, they felt that that would give them more ability to obey Jesus' commands. Jesus doesn't respond by granting them more faith. Instead, he responds by saying that even a minuscule amount of faith, as small as a mustard seed, it's tiny little seed, could do amazing things. The point being, as Pastor Tim pointed out, that it's not the amount of faith that's the issue. In today's passage, notice in verse 13 that the lepers cry out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. I mean, how would they know who Jesus is? You have to remember that, you know, this is ancient times. This is, you know, all they had was messengers and word of mouth. It's not like the lepers could pull out their phones and Google Jesus and, you know, check out his reviews. Like, oh, okay, let's see. Um, he's got some mixed reviews here. Oh, there's an ex-leper here. It says, gave him a raving review. But wait, oh, there's a, hold on, there's a negative review here from a Simon the Pharisee. says, healed on the Sabbath, zero out of ten would recommend, right? Like, they didn't have that, but what they did have was lots of word of mouth. Throughout Luke 4 to 6, we see that Jesus has been healing people left, right, and center, and people are coming from all over, from Jerusalem, Judea, Tyre and Sidon, Samaria, Galilee, and they're just following him around, and Jesus is just healing everybody. And the lepers know this, and so that's why they, and they know that he's got this power. Leon Morris, in his commentary on Luke, points out that that word that they call him, master, in the Greek, the Greek word there is epistata, which means it's not like a specific title like rabbi it's it's more used to address anybody in authority so the lepers by calling a master are recognizing that jesus has this authority and that he has this power to heal and in as a result of putting their trust in the right person they do receive healing it's very important to put your trust in the right place Uh, let me share with you this analogy from a sermon i heard a number of years ago so imagine you're swimming at the beach on the ocean not Lake Ontario, because that water nasty. Like, okay, I've, I've only gone swimming in, in Lake Ontario once, just to say I'd done it. And the whole time, I'm swimming head up front crawl because I'm afraid that if I put my face in the water, I'm gonna come up with a third eye or something. Anyways, so you're swimming at the beach in the ocean, and you know, the water's cold, and it takes a lot of strength, and you're struggling, and all of a sudden, you feel this cramp, like, oh no! And you know you're not gonna be able to make it back to shore. So with all the last breath that you can muster up, you scream to the lifeguard, hey, throw me the anvil. You have complete faith in the anvil. You just know that if you grab onto this dense, super hard, 300-pound hunk of iron, that it will float you to the surface and you'll be okay. Right? Wrong. A 300-pound iron anvil will sink like a rock and drag you down to your death. It doesn't matter how much faith you have if you put it in the wrong thing. A.W. Tozer, in his classic The Pursuit of God, wrote that faith is not in itself a meritorious act. The merit is in the one toward whom it is directed. Faith is a redirecting of our sight, a getting out of the focus of our own vision and getting God into focus. As I was studying this passage, the Holy Spirit convicted me of all the times that I've been relying on myself instead of focusing on God. And the Holy Spirit reminded me, are you trusting in the anvil or are you trusting in the lifesaver? So before we move on to the next part, I want to pause and lead us through a time of personal reflection. I want you to close your eyes and focus for a moment. Unless you're watching your kids, then you should definitely not close your eyes, Uh, but you can still reflect with us. I'm going to ask you some guiding questions, and I want you to be still and think about them, and ask God to show you the answers. The first question is this. What challenges are you facing right now where you need healing? I'm not just talking about physical health, although that's definitely important. Where are you not well? Where are you hurting? What brokenness or crises are you facing? Is it in work, in your finances, in your relationships with other people? Is it sin in your life? Maybe it's mental health. Maybe you're struggling with depression, hopelessness. Take some time and reflect. The second question is who or what is the object of your faith? Are you relying on yourself and your abilities? Or are you truly dependent on God? Is the God you depend on an incomplete God? that you picture in your mind? Maybe a distant God who can't or won't hear your prayers? Is it a weak God who could fix some problems but not others? Is it an angry God who doesn't care about your problems? Or is it the real, sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, compassionate, caring, triune God of the Bible? So we've looked at the cultural background about lepers and Samaritans. We've seen that it was important that these lepers place their faith in Jesus specifically. But there's another really important thing to notice about this passage. Look at verses 15 and 19. Nine of the lepers go off to the priest with their healing and never come back. But one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, observed that all 10 lepers were cleansed, but the Samaritan got something more. His faith made him well. In the original Greek text, there is a difference between those two words. In verses 14 and 17, where Luke says lepers were cleansed, That word cleansed comes from the Greek verb katarizo, which means to make clean or purify. But in verse 19, when it says that the Samaritan's faith made him well, that phrase made him well comes from the Greek verb sozo, which means to save, to rescue, or to deliver. And often when that verb sozo appears elsewhere in scripture, it's in the context of salvation. See, the Jewish leper's faith wasn't Jesus as, you know, a good teacher or a prophet who happened to have some miraculous powers. But the Samaritan, it says, is praising God in a loud voice and bowing down at Jesus' feet. Now, bowing down, you know, was a sign of great respect, but more frequently in Scripture, it's an act of worship. The Samaritan is implicitly declaring that Jesus is God, and Jesus affirms this As a result, while all 10 lepers were cleansed, nine of them only got physical healing. Only one, the Samaritan, was truly made well because he came to know God personally. Let me be clear. Healing is important, and I believe that our compassionate God continues to heal today. But it is very easy to fall into the trap of seeking the healing rather than the healer himself. Because the fundamental nature of our problem, the fundamental nature of our brokenness as individuals and as a society is the break in our relationship with God. Humans rebelled against God, rejected Him, and it is through embracing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as Lord and as Savior, that we enter into deep, soul-satisfying relationship with God, and are truly made well. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet committed your life to Jesus Christ, I would urge you, as the Apostle Paul does in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, be reconciled to God. He's waiting for you with open arms. If you want to find out more about this, you can click the show notes below this video. There's a link there where you can get connected to us. You can just fill out that form and somebody will reach out to you and walk you through the next steps. Let's pause again to reflect. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to be still, to think, and to listen to God. Here's the first question. How is your relationship with God? Non-existent? On life support? So-so? Or is it deep and rich? So we've looked at the cultural background of lepers and Samaritans. We've seen that it's not the amount of faith that matters, but where you put your faith. And we've seen that true wellness comes from knowing God personally. However, there's more to faith than just merely agreeing that God is trustworthy. Um, Notice in verse 14 how Jesus responds to the leper's request. He doesn't, you know, when they ask him, Jesus, master, have pity on us. He doesn't, you know, touch them, he doesn't pray over them, he doesn't put mud on their sores or wave his hands or anything like that. Um, He simply says, go, show yourself to the priests and now you'll remember what we talked about lepers in Leviticus 14, you don't show yourself to the priest unless you've already been healed of your leprosy. So the lepers must have been taken aback. I mean, this is like Jesus asking the paralytic man in Luke 5, just get up and walk. Like Jesus is testing their faith here because at the moment that he tells them, go see the priests, they still have the leprosy. They, They haven't been healed yet. He's asked Jesus is asking them to step out in faith, and the lepers do. And verse 14 tells us that as they went, they were cleansed. Faith isn't just this intellectual or emotional agreement that God is trustworthy. Faith demands action. You have to put your money where your mouth is. And it is th- because it's through our participation with God that that he exercises his power. what What do I mean by participate with God? Jerry Bridges, in his book The Chase, gives a really good analogy. He says, farmers work hard without knowing how things will turn out. A farmer plows his field, plants seeds, fertilizes, and gets rid of weeds that can kill healthy crops. But in the end, he completely depends on forces outside himself. He knows he can't cause the seed to start growing. He can't make it rain. He can't force the sun to shine at just the right times for growing and harvesting the crop. To be a successful farmer and businessman, he totally depends on God for all these things to take place. Yet, if the farmer doesn't do everything he needs to do, plow, plant, fertilize, and cultivate, he can't expect a harvest at the end of the season. Farming is a joint venture between God and the farmer. The farmer can't do what God must do and God won't do what the farmer is responsible for. We see from this analogy that participation with God, is, it involves God's sovereign power and our action. It's not, it's not either or, it's both and. It's, you know, it's not God helps those who help themselves, which, by the way, is not in the Bible. That's Benjamin Franklin. Neither is it this notion that you know, we just need to sit back and wait for God to, to make a move because as if our actions were somehow betraying a lack of faith in God. Participation with God is about listening to God and asking him what part he wants you to play. And then going out and doing it, trusting that he's going to exercise his power through your obedient action. The action comes out of our relationship with God. So again, I want to pause for personal reflection. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be still, to think, and to listen to what God has to say. Remember again, the areas that came up earlier where you need healing. How is God asking you to participate with him? So if there's nothing else you remember from this, remember this, faith demands specifically action in participation with God we already did quite a bit of reflecting but some issues are deep-seated and need more time a summary of the reflection questions will appear on the screen again and I would encourage you to mull these over throughout the rest of the day listening to God and asking him to show you the answers where do I need healing am I trusting in God or myself do I have a deep relationship with God and what actions does God want me to take in his power? So as we go into our weeks, I want to send you with a blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.